Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas to you. I know that you're enthused about the Christmas offering, Hope for Kids, and we'll be receiving that next week and also at Christmas Eve, which uh, Pastor Paul reminded is uh, on Christmas Eve. So looking forward to that. This is the season of Advent on the Christian calendar, and it is a season of contemplation, of consideration of God coming to the earth, putting on an earth suit, becoming God in the flesh, and the wonderment of that, the mystery of that, the, the profound impact that that truth, that reality has on the world. And as things tend to speed up uh, during the holidays, my encouragement, admonition to you is to try to slow down long enough and get quiet enough to consider this amazing miracle of the incarnation. So today we want to talk about heavenly obstetrics. You know, um, these miracle births are all over the place with regard to the coming of Jesus to the earth, and we want to consider one of those stories today from Luke's gospel. I want to uh, talk about the parents of John the Baptist, Zacharias and Elizabeth, and some things that we can learn about this. Now, good news, this is a holiday sermon, only two points. It goes relatively quickly, and, and, and I, I hope it will be helpful to you. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. I'm going to read for us verses 5 through 25. And again, this is the birth of John Baptist and things that we might learn from this important story. So as you're able, would you please stand to hear this word. Beginning at verse 5, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. When the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense, and when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents, the fathers, to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. 
In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. May God inspire this important story to our hearts today. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Now the scripture rightly treats fertility as a gift from God. And indeed, indeed it is a gift, right? Anytime a child is conceived and a mother gives birth, this is a miracle of miracles. It's a, it's a profound miracle. And so the Bible treats it as such. And so we see God both withholding and then granting the power to conceive in the moments in the unfolding story of Israel. We see various occasions where this is true. All of us can think of Abraham and Sarah, both of them very, very old, nearly 100 years old in their 90s at the time when Isaac is conceived. This is a miraculous birth. Uh, Elkanah and Hannah were the, were the parents of Samuel. Same kind of situation where God gives miraculous ability later in life. Others who suffered with barrenness and then conceived with the Lord's help included Rebecca, Rebecca Rachel, and the mother of Samson. Of course, Mary and Joseph, uh, that's a bit of a miracle itself. And then today, we find that Luke opens his gospel with this important story of the birth of John Baptist, whose parents were Zachariah and Elizabeth. Now, now here's a fact. Their biological clocks had ceased to tick. Elizabeth was past the time. She uh, had lived with the pain and the shame and the suffering of being barren. This was not, this was not a uh, desirable condition to have back in the day in this particular culture. It was often interpreted as some disapproval of God or some hidden sin. And so it was painful and difficult for any woman who could not bear children. Now let me just uh, mention the presence of children in a marriage. Children may enhance a marriage, but children do not make a marriage. And it's important not to get those things confused. Couples without children, either by nature or by choice, are actually free to serve Christ in ways that those of us who have children aren't free to serve. And so the question that sometimes occurs to us to ask, are you going to have children? Why don't you have children? Listen to me, that's nobody's business. Nobody's business. And so best not to ask the question. Now, having said that, let me just give you an example where I failed at this. Our oldest son, Aaron, and his wife, Mandy, had been married three years and still no, no suspects and, or prospects. I asked him one day, I said, do we have to have the talk again? I mean, is it, are you confused? I mean, what's... He assured me he was not confused. And then this was not of Beth's doing. This was all my idea, so she, I'm confessing my sin, not hers. She came home one, one day, and she had purchased a couple of picture frames with a little stand on the back so you can sit on the shelf, and she wanted to place some of our family photos in those frames. And as, as it were, there, was, there were stock photos in the frames when they were sold, and they were photos of small children, a little blonde girl and a little brunette. And, and she was getting ready to pull the pictures out of the frames. And I said, don't, don't do that. I said, let's leave them in there. And she said, why? And I said, well, let's just leave them until Christmas. And so, so we, set, we set those two pictures of total strange children <laughs> among the collage of our family photos in the family room, and, and kind of like baiting the hook. And... Sure enough, over Christmas, Aaron is home, and he's kind of over there musing, 
talking about the pictures, and all of a sudden he sees these photographs of these two small children, and he just goes, he reaches down and he says, who the heck are these people? <laughs> and so now I had him, and I said, well, these are what we imagine our grandchildren might look like if we actually had grandchildren. And so we put their picture up there. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, don't do that. That's not, shouldn't do that. But for couples, for couples who desire children and have difficulty, the church is here to pray with you about that. And many, many times over the course of the years, we have seen God do things where uh, fertility science hasn't been able to do things. And, and God tends to answer those prayers. And if that's your prayer, then we would be glad to join our faith with yours, whether to conceive naturally or in an adoption process. If your desire is to have children, we will pray because they certainly are a great gift. So in presenting this couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth, Luke goes out of his way to say that these are really noble people. They're godly people. They're salt-of-the-earth people. They're good. Uh, you know, he uses the word blameless. I mean, they, they have obeyed God in an effective way. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments. So they're a rare jewel and a godly couple in every way. And they have grown old together in the faith. The one and primary prayer of their life has not been answered. Lord, please give us a child. Give us children. Others had nursed their newborns. Elizabeth had not. Zachariah had seen other men take their sons to the temple for circumcision on the eighth day. That had not been a blessing that they had enjoyed. So here we find this godly couple. And what I want to consider this morning in these two thoughts is the way that Jesus now becomes incarnate in the world we see these heavenly obstetrics taking place in the lives of these people surrounding this story. And I want to just see how the way gets prepared for the coming of Messiah Emmanuel. And the first way we see the way prepared is through godly parents. So if you're filling out your outline, the word you need is parents, godly parents. Life had not been fair, as it were, for Zacharias and Elizabeth. Have you ever been in a moment in your life where you said, maybe to yourself or out loud, Hey, life isn't fair. This isn't right. This isn't fair. Life isn't fair. Well, I would suspect that virtually all of us in the room, perhaps not everyone, but most of us certainly have uttered that phrase or thought it to ourselves. Life just isn't panning out. Life is not fair. It's, it's, an, it's an unjust world. Well, I've got, I've got news for you. I'm sorry to break this to you if you haven't realized it. Life is not fair. It's just not. And so, welcome. Welcome to an unfair world. These folks have felt that disappointment. That it just isn't fair for us not to have had children. And so, here they are. They had, they had postured themselves in such a way that they were living, living their faith. They were trusting God. They embraced their love for one another. Zacharias could have, by, his, by the letter of the law, that he could have divorced her because she couldn't conceive. That he did not speaks to his character and probably his love for his wife. And so they model for us in so many beautiful ways what it means to live together in an honorable way. They, they live their life. They live in obedience. 
They, they bear their pain and disappointment gracefully, and they move through life. And it's a great thing. Maybe, maybe they provide for us kind of a new paradigm, a new model for us. You know, usually in American culture, we talk about the way God works in individual lives. But in this context, it's marital. It's about what is God doing through us together. Maybe we need to ask that question. Uh, you know, as, as uh, empty nesters, Beth and I are constantly reconsidering the mandate on, on our lives that God has given us and how, how that uh, tends to flow. And as we're faithful to God, God is faithful to reveal his next steps for us. Maybe that would be a good idea for all of us who are in an empty nest position where the kids are grown, grown and gone. Maybe you have time, a little more asset, and there you are as a couple. Maybe to ask the question, Lord, you use Zacharias and Elizabeth in this stage of life. What do you have now for us? What is it that we could do together in the context of our life stage in this season that could be useful in your hands? That's, an, that's maybe a, a challenging question, isn't it? And I encourage you to think about it. Now, Zechariah, of course, he's a local pastor. He's a priest, and he has a priestly role. And he's part of a band of priests from the tribe of Abijah. And so here he is, and, and uh, once a year... His whole group of priests would go to Jerusalem and provide leadership for the liturgical uh, mandates that God had made for the Jerusalem temple through Moses. And part of that mandate was that twice a day, a priest would be chosen by lot out of this group of priests in town to go into the Holy of Holies, the holy place, and burn incense before the Lord. It was part of the liturgy. That, that was prescribed by Moses in the, in the wilderness and so now is carried forward into the Jerusalem temple and as the animal is sac sacrificed outside, on the inside the priest would say the prayers, do the liturgy and burn incense, symbolic of the prayers of the people rising up before God in the presence of God. It was, it was uh, an assignment that a rank and file priest like Zechariah might, might receive once in a lifetime. I mean, it's just once a year he goes and then to be selected out of this group of priests to actually do it. So it was rare and it probably had never happened to him before. And he probably saw this as the climax of his ministry. Very powerful moment for him personally. And yet now he is in the Holy of Holies and he's burning incense and he's doing the liturgy. And now suddenly God breaks into that moment actually giving to Zechariah Zacharias, a different call, a higher call, if you will, and that is the call to fatherhood. Now, let, me just, let me just pick on that just a little bit. There are, there are many folks in our culture today, Christian folks, who underestimate how valuable the call of God is on their life to be a parent. If I were to ask you this morning before the context of this message, has God ever called you to do anything? You might say, well, I don't know. Uh, probably, I don't think so. If you, if you put it in my context, you say, well, Pastor Greg, he's got a big call, high call, a very important call of God in his life. He's called to be a pastor. It's an important influence, all that. So you've got a big call in your life, but not, not so much for me. Wait a minute. If you've, been called, if you've been called as a spouse or you've been called as a parent, you have a huge call on your life, a massive call on your life, a much higher call than my call, as a pastor priest, uh, a pastor priest is like secondary or tertiary. It's way down the list compared to the 
supra high call of God on your life to be a faithful spouse and a godly parent. So if, if, if you're a parent, if you're a father in the room today, you have the high call of God. If you're a mother in the room today, you have, you have on your life the mantle of the high and holy call of God on your life. It is, a, it is an important role and, and, and very significant in God's plan. So by God's providential ordering, Zechariah was at the right place at the right time for this divine appointment, this encounter, this new call on his life. In this sense, Zechariah is a model for us. I, I want to put a statement on the screen because I want you to, this is, this is what I want you to take home today from this message. And here are the words. Do your duty, pray, bear your disappointments, love your spouse, obey the commands of the Lord, and then trust God to have you at the right place at the right time. You've heard me say this time and again over the years, that it's how you live your ordinary days that will determine whether or not you have special moments. So the best use of your life, listen to me, the best use of your life is to give diligent, faithful, regular application to the things that God places immediately in front of you. Do your duty, pray, obey God, love your spouse, honor your role as parent, go to work, do the things that God has placed in front of you, do it faithfully and righteously, and in the course of your life, God will break into your life with special moments. Too many Americans just think that life is about you know, going from one high to the next high to the next high, but that, you all know that that's not the way life is lived. Life is lived just kind of leaning forward, taking one step in front of the next one, and just getting through the day in a faithful manner. And people who are able to, you say, well, Pastor Greg, obviously, that's, why do you have to even say it? You know, it's just common sense. It's axiomatic. And you know, why would you have to bring this up? Because you know numbers of people by the dozens who get it right on Monday but can't seem to manage on Tuesday. And Wednesday's wobbly. They get a little bit back on track on Thursday, but can't hold up on Friday. Yeah. This is what life is about, friends. This is the diligent application of the things that God places immediately in front of you. And so all of a sudden now, in Zachariah's experience, because he's in the right place at the right time with the right attitude and the right discipline in his life, now he's in a place where God can speak to him, and now this angel shows up, an archangel. <laughs> now imagine... Zachariah, I imagine Zechariah is a very dutiful, conscientious person who's just, he's got the liturgy. I can imagine him being in the most holy. He's the only one in there. I mean, no one else is allowed in there. It's not safe for anyone else. This is the presence of God. So he's in there, and he's already just a little, you know, anxious about the whole experience. And I, you can just see him checking, double-checking the liturgy, reading the words as carefully and as precisely as he can. The, now it's time to burn the incense, and he knows the sacrifice of the animal's is going on outside, and so he's lighting the incense. He's just trying to be just as careful as he can. And he's already just a little on edge. And then suddenly, bam, there's an archangel standing at the right side of the altar. Oh, can you imagine incense flying around? And it scares him. Listen, anytime we got a big shot angel interacting with a human being in the scripture, you get the human being coming unraveled. And this is what's happening to him. Adrenaline pumps, his mouth go dr goes dry, his knees begin to shake, his hair stands on end, his mind races. I mean, he's in shock. 
And, and because there's this, this is a different order of creation. You got a human being in an earth suit and an archangel. And, and human beings in earth suits don't function well around archangels, apparently. <laughs> anyway, I, I don't know. I, I probably can't overstate the shock. If you, there's no one here who's seen an archangel, and the reason I know that is because if you had, we'd all know about it. <laughs> Word would have gotten out. <laughs> and you'd be telling the story, I promise you. So this is, a, this is a big deal. And so Gabriel then says to Zechariah, just like every big shot angel in, in Scripture, the first thing they say to shocked human beings is, don't be afraid. I, I'm on your side. I'm here for you, not against you. <laughs> you know, you, only, you see Barney Fife. Oh, God. <laughs> I was just about to pass out. <laughs> then Gabriel gives Zechariah this prophecy in four parts. Number one, don't be afraid. Number two, God has heard your prayers. Number three, you will have a son. Number four, name him John. Now, the most important part of that prophecy is in the second part. It's not, don't be afraid. It's not, you'll have a son. It's not, name him John. The most important part of that prophecy is, God has heard your prayers. Now, let that sink in for a minute. God has heard your prayers. Let me ask you a question. How long do you think Zacharias and Elizabeth had been praying for a child? How long have they been praying? They've been praying for decades. And probably at some point in their lives, they, one of them or both of them realized it's too late. No point in praying this prayer anymore. And they had stopped praying it. But here's what, here's what God says to them. I've heard your prayers. I wonder if there's anyone in the room today and you've prayed for something for a long, long time. And maybe you're wavering in that prayer. Maybe you've just stopped trusting God with that prayer. Maybe it's someone in your life that you've prayed for and you've seen no change and no difference and no breakthrough in their lives. And over time, you slowly but surely begin to give up hope that anything's going to change. But listen, listen to me carefully. Here's what the Lord would say to you. He's heard your prayers. He's heard your prayers. See, God is in the business of hearing prayer and answering prayer. And, and it's our role to stay connected with God and stay faithful to God and trusting in God and allow God to deal with the timing. Because when God, when God transitions from listening to your prayers to answering your prayers, some amazing things can start happening then. Yeah. And can we all just testify? Can we get a witness? Yeah, when God, God has answered some of my prayers, wow. Wow, God. Wow. What you have done, amazing things. And so astounding things can happen when God begins to answer prayer. So don't give up and don't give in. Keep praying. What does this say about importunity in prayer? What does this say about persistence in prayer? It says everything about that, doesn't it? And so keep praying. God hears our prayer. And here Zacharias and Elizabeth is preparing the way for Messiah Emmanuel through faithful parenting. Now, here's the second point. There's only two. The second point is this, that the way is prepared now through a prophet. First through parents, godly parents, and now through a prophet. I want to write that down. Verses 13 to 7, it says, Their son would be a spirit-filled prophet of God to bring revival and renewal to the nation. 
like Jeremiah before him, John would be marked from the womb with a divine vocation. Did you, did you remember the, the phrase that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb? This is an amazing sequence of events. And, and Gabriel is talking about the work of God and the call of God on this baby's life before he's born. I mean, at this point, he's not even conceived. And the angel is talking about it. This says something to me about the place of children in the family of faith, doesn't it, you? That something about the place that children have and the, and the personhood of the unborn. The Bible treats the preborn as persons capable of profound interaction with God, not as potential somebodies that we can easily discard because of convenience through the sin of abortion. No, 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 no. These are people that God knows. These are people that God has plans for. These are people that God wants to fill with his Holy Spirit even before they're born. These are people that God wants to bring into the world for great influence. And we should, we should appreciate that and value that. Zachariah and Elizabeth and all their friends would rejoice at the birth of this little guy named John. And for years afterward, he would be a delight to them. But listen, there would come a day when John would respond to God's call on his life and launch out beyond their home. You know, it would have been easy for Zacharias to say, look, uh, John, you know, I'm from a lineage of pastors and priests. You'll want to be a priest, won't you? And at some point, John went, no. My call is the call of a prophet. Don't you, don't you want to wear the clerical garments and, and all the fineries and and, pro and project the faith in a formal way? And John said, no, I'm going to live in a woods. <laughs> I, no, uh, no, I, I, I don't care for any of that stuff. So here's what we do. This is wisdom now as parents. We don't raise our children to fulfill our dreams for them, but we raise them to know God so that when God calls them, they can respond to his best plan for their lives. Now, that's easier said than done. You know, train up a child in the way they should go, not the way parents want them to go, the way God wants them to go. And so this is important wisdom. And so this is a reality that John faces and Jesus now later faces and both their parents. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, their son John would be beheaded. And for the first son of Mary and Joseph, their son would be nailed to a tree. Both of those boys would be dead before they were 35. This story reminds us that the way we hold our children is with open hands before God. Because you don't know what God's plan might be for your kids. So encourage them to know God and to listen to his voice and their way will be found. It's interesting that one of the hallmarks of John's future ministry, according to the words of Malachi, Gabriel actually quotes Malachi now when he says, and he will be used to bring revival and renewal to the nation. Many hearts will be turned back to God, to righteousness. And then he said, God will use him to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children. That's, a, that's from Malachi. Gabriel's now quoting the prophet. Did you hear that phrase? Turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children. Let me ask you something. Is that a need in our culture today? Think about it. When one in four white children 
Two in three black children in America are born without fathers. We need God to raise up another John the Baptist to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Yeah? When one of the greatest social problems is dads who aren't present, who don't show up, who aren't in the home, who aren't connected, who don't pay support. One of the great social problems. We need John Baptist. We need statesmen in our culture to rise up. Listen to these numbers. Only 6% of African-American children still have both bio parents in the home by the time they reach the age of 17. 6%. Listen to the whole culture, the general culture. 70% of people in America today are either from a broken home or are living in a broken home. 70%. Let me just, uh, let me just say something that needs to be said. Men are confused in our day. We're consumed by our jobs. We're consumed by television sports, consumed by hunting, consumed by illicit sex and trivia, and we don't know how to walk with God. We don't know how to love our wives. We don't know how to develop deep friendships with other men, and apparently we, we significantly don't know how to pour godly values into our children. That's why cities have gang problems, absent fathers. That's, that's why many teenage girls go to bed with the first boy that shows them any attention, absent fathers. That's why teenage boys become predators, absent fathers, who did not teach them both the goodness of their manhood nor its proper restraint. We have many, many voices today in our culture today screaming about problems and pointing accusatory fingers at one another. And what, what the, the politicians and the leaders and the socialists in our culture refuse to talk about is the desperate need we have for men to assume their rightful role. In fact, there's resistance to the whole idea. There's been so much damage to the reputation of men and fathers in our culture that now there are voices in our, in our culture that, that say that men aren't necessary and men are just bad. And men are to be avoided. Men are, men are the ones who perpetrate excessive corporal punishment. Men are the ones who are, are responsible for all our problems with domestic violence. Men are rapists. Men are racist. Men don't care. And so we have this, we have this attack on the nuclear family, the, the design of God, the fabric that holds society together. And the reason that the fabric is ripping in American culture is because we refuse to recognize the important God-given role of men and fathers. There is a great father hunger in America. We could call it a father wound. But, but we have a fatherless culture. And so let's, let's call it a, a father hunger because that, that may create more warmth to it, more, more sympathy to it. A father hunger. Just about in every counseling session now, this isn't, this isn't widely known. People don't talk about this because it's not politically correct. It's not politically expedient. It doesn't enhance your financial earning power to go around talking like this. But what America needs are statesmen like John Baptist who will say, I don't care what it costs me, I don't care what it means to my career, I don't care what it means to my political party, but I am going to speak the truth because the truth is that we need men to assume their godly roles. 
And there are consequences in our culture that results from men who have failed in this way. Before there can ever be, though, a moral renaissance in our culture, there needs to be revival in the church. And one of the surest signs of that is when the Holy Spirit starts awakening men to their accountability before God and their responsibility for their children. I've never said this out loud, but one of the things that keeps me here in this community, in this church, for as long as I've been here, and this is near the top of my list, is because I know about the fatherless nature of our culture. And one of the reasons that I keep showing up week after week, year after year, decade after decade, is because I know that either directly or indirectly, either consciously or subconsciously, there's, there's a subliminal effect to this, that when a man like me, for example, actually remains faithful to his spouse and remains faithful to his children as a father and grandchildren and remains faithful to his primary relationships and friendships, that that has a very reassuring effect on people who are absent a father figure. I know, it's I know it happens. And so one of the primary reasons, again, I've never said this out loud, the one of the primary reasons why I, I keep doing what I do is because I want you to have at least one or two models in your life where there, there's a guy who's faithful. And that gives me some stability. That gives me a sense of security. That gives me some hope. Now, if you're a person whose father disappointed you in life, I'm sorry. And here's some good news on top of that. There is a heavenly father that if you will submit yourself to him and his work in your life, he will actually reparent you. And you'll discover that, that the Heavenly Father is faithful and reliable and trustworthy. And He will give you in the relationship with you what you need from a father. Yeah. And you can be healed. And you can be made whole. And you can be restored. And I want to encourage you with that word today. Because there's hope. And here's my challenge to the rest of you men. Would you come and join me? your guy out there saying, well, I'm glad Pastor Greg, you know, he, he's, you know, he's getting it right, so I'm glad, for, you know, at least there's somebody out there I feel, thank, thank you, Pastor Greg. I'm not sure I can, I'm not sure I can do it. I, I don't have a very good track record. <laughs> Listen, Bubba, step up. Come and join me. Stand up. It's never too late to be an authentic man. Never too late. You can pick up from today and start carrying forward authentically in God's best design for your life. And I challenge you to do it. That's what a real man is, you know. Culture gives you all kinds of other definitions of real manhood. It's all nonsense, and you know it. But real men will love God. They'll love their spouse. They'll love their children. They'll do their duty They'll do it obediently. They'll pray. They'll reject passivity. They'll accept responsibility. They'll lead courageously. And they'll expect God's blessing. That's what real men do. So I invite you to join me. Well, here's Zechariah. He's, he's in this moment with this angel now. And he's getting all this information. And then he says, 
uh, he's, in, he's in the presence of God. He's in the holy place. He has an archangel physically, visibly, audibly manifest, like right next to him. And Zachariah goes, uh, okay, well, uh, could you get, like, give me a sign? <laughs> that wife of mine, she, you know, she's, she's not, she, she can't. <laughs> and, and Gabriel, you know, he, Gabriel's just going, <clears throat> I mean, what kind of a sign would you want? <laughs> what, what would be a sign? <laughs> <laughs> to you, if a, if a message directly from Almighty God by an archangel isn't quite enough. <laughs> Just what were you looking for? <laughs> so Gabriel says, you want a sign? Here's your sign. <laughs> You're going to be dumb and deaf for the next nine months. No, no speaking for you. There's your sign. <laughs> So Zechariah, he comes, he comes out, of his, uh, out of his role there, walks out of the temple, supposed to pronounce the blessing, Aaron's blessing, this ironic blessing is part of the liturgy. He's supposed to pronounce it, but he couldn't say a word. So he tries to sign language. And everybody knows what something, he's, he's going like this. And they go, he's had a vision. Someone, someone says, he's had a moment. <laughs> So Zechariah finishes his duties the best he could, and he goes home silent as a post. But he knows something. And what he knows is his wife's going to get pregnant. <laughs> I wonder what his body language was when he went home. He can't say anything. I wonder if he's got a lean <laughs> when he walks. Maybe a little tilt of the head. Maybe he's winking. Maybe he just, he can't say, he just looks at her and says, we don't, we don't know what he did, but, but I bet you he was smiling at the very least. It's great stuff. The next voice we hear is not that of Zechariah, but of an old woman with crow's feet around her eyes. It's in verse 25, our last verse. She places a hand on her swelling abdomen, and he, she chuckles this prayer in private. There's sentimentality here, but there's also humor here. She says, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among men. So you feel the sentimentality, but there's also humor. Because here's this old girl, and she's pregnant. She just couldn't be more happy about it. And she thinks, you know, here's an old guy whose mouth is shut. And here's an old gal whose womb is open. How great is that? Heavenly obstetrics. God is at work preparing the way. There are some affirmations in this story that I'd like to close our service with this morning. These are just simple little truths that we've learned from this text. And I want to share these affirmations with you. And if you're with your spouse today, would you just take their hand maybe? And if, or your intended spouse, just hold their hand. And as we hear these affirmations, you hear something that you think pertains, applies to you, your family, maybe just squeeze the other one's hand so that you acknowledge this affirmation. Let me invite you just to bow your head, close your eyes, hear these words. 
This is what we learn from this text. First, yes, God hears prayers, even prayers we've long since given up on. And yes, God can use older people and especially delights to use those whose weakness confounds the world. Yes, it is important to attend to your religious duties and to be faithful in your obedience. And yes, God does call couples and not just individuals to share in divine assignments. Yes, God can grant extraordinary personal blessings even as God works larger purposes. And yes, angels are real and constantly carrying out missions from heaven. And yes, God can interrupt a service of worship with a manifestation of divine power. Yes, God can grant children to the barren. And yes, God can do business with children, even in the womb. Yes, God does want to shake men loose from their habits and toys to know Christ and serve their families. Yes, God does require obedience. And yes, God claims the right to move our children into ways we would never choose for them as parents. And yes, most of our discipleship is lived in the valleys of ordinariness and not on the mountaintops of divine encounter. And finally, yes, we do need in the church and for the sake of our nation a restoration of the ministry of John the Baptist to make us a people prepared for the Lord's coming. So we say, Lord, yes, yes, yes. What God promises, God will do. And the people said, Amen. Would you stand with us?